peace of Christ to you all. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen the, uh, the Holmes Ray, peace of Christ, you too, Alan, the Holmes Ray stress scale. Um, have you ever, ever seen that? It's some, these folks got together and, and looked at different events that can happen in your life and then gave them numeric um, values as to how much stress. Uh, you know, they, they can cause. Um, you know, a couple things uh, that you'll see on there. One is if your uh, marital separation causes uh, uh, so many, 65. And then the, the next one is when you get married. It, it's 50, you know, on, on your, your, your scale. And then on and on it goes, Matthew. You can just sort of go through that. And you get pregnant, it's 40. Change in living conditions, 25. You change in sleep habits, it's 16. Minor violation of the law. And then Christmas, just Christmas itself, means there's 12 extra points on your stress scale. So everybody gets 12, um, if none of those other things are um, true uh, for you. And, and on this, um, if you have over 300 points and they say you need to go to the emergency room, you know, don't um, uh, uh, call anybody, just go right there. There's illness um, uh, before you. Well, some folks got together and did this, thought about Mary and Joseph around Christmas season and said, what would it look like if we put these kind of, and they got the whole list, put it all together, and they were 435 points of stress as their pregnant wife delivering almost can't find a place to stay all on one day. Yeah, and I think it's a good thing to remember about Christmas for Mary and Joseph. You know, that, that this was heavy stress, real life pain in their lives. What, if there's one thing that bothers me about you know, Christmas season and, and the, uh, the celebration that we, that we have just in general. Um, it's not if people say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays. I don't care. Just be nice and loving. You know, that's a command. That I know is a command. You know, when you say Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, that doesn't matter. And I don't give a flip about Starbucks and what they put on their mugs. You know, that was some big, huge thing that they didn't put Christmas on their mugs. Well, you know, Starbucks, right, Natasha? They, they, she works at Starbucks. They don't claim to be a Christian company. They don't claim in any way. I don't even know if they know how to spell Jesus or not. And I don't expect it of them. Now, I'm a tea drinker. I want their tea to be right on. But, I, you know, that just doesn't really matter. What does, as I think about the Christmas season, the thing that sort of gets me is how we sanitize it. You know, we sort of make it a nice little sentimental veneer. You know, have yourself a very Merry Christmas. You know, that just sort of, oh, let your heart be light. 
From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Yeah, thank you. No. Did that? Yeah, yeah. You, you see why I'm up here now and not at other times. No, that's not the case. I mean, we added 12 points on the stress just for Christmas itself. It's not sanitized magic. You know, it acts like it's magic, little pixie dust. That this is going to just, everything's going to go away because of Christmas. Now, what we'll be saying, a little town of Bethlehem, you know, that verse that, that Sam even mentioned, that at the manger, the hopes and fears of all the years collide there. You know, that, that's where they're all encapsulated. The hopes and fears of the entire creation of the cosmos. They all meet there in a baby lying in a feeding trough. Now that's a good song to sing. Because that's the, the reality of Christmas. That, that our stresses, my stresses and yours, our anxieties, our terror, and, and, they, they, and, and the, the stresses and terror of the world... I'll meet there because at Christmas, at, at the manger with the baby, that is part of a deeper battle. When we, we remove the, the watered down overlay of popular Christmas stuff, which I, you know, that's, it's fine, it's there, but don't let it sanitize the deep meaning that we're looking at the eternal realities of Christmas. That we see the power and the glory of God collide with the destructive evil of the devil right there in a manger. See, this is real fears. Meet real hope. Not just sanitized optimism. This is pain and chaos, terror, evil, sin, murder, addictions, poverty, hunger, the anxieties of today and what will happen tomorrow. Disease that we can't get our hand on. It's racism. It's bomb threats. It's Terrorism is the possibilities of world war. It's those kind of fears that are real, that meet the real hope in Jesus Christ at Christmas. I mean, this is a heavyweight battle, a collision of eternal proportions. We're going to look at a couple passages today. The first one is in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, uh, We'll start in in chapter 2, about halfway through. It's found on page 784 in your pew Bible, or you can follow along on the screen. Um, let's, uh, Let's pray together. Almighty God, speak to us in this time. Open our hearts... um, Put our souls to hear from you. Let your spirit do your work in us. Help us to set aside all the, the stresses and the lists and the things. Let's be with you right now and hear from you. Hear what is eternally significant. And move it beyond even our mind to, to our heart, to our very soul. That we would receive from you. In the name of Jesus we pray. 
Amen. All right, so in Matthew uh, chapter, chapter 1, um, the, it tells this Christmas story. And actually, it's really interesting in Matthew, if you, if you notice this, he, he only gives you about nine verses. Matthew only gives you nine verses of what we would call the Christmas story. He, he just tells us there's Joseph and, their, and Mary, and they're engaged to be married, but they haven't been married yet. And so Joseph has a, a dream. An angel comes and tells him, listen, your uh, fiancé, you know, Mary, well, she's pregnant, but don't get mad. It's not pregnant by another man, and as you well know, it's not pregnant by you, but pregnant by the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so the, uh, oh, yeah, that part's important. And... Uh, the, the Holy Spirit is the one that has made her pregnant. So I want you to still marry her. And I want you to name the baby Jesus. And so Matthew says, this is all what Isaiah had said was going to happen. And then Joseph awakens from the dream. Mary has the baby. They name him Jesus. Boom. That's it. There's, there's no sheep, there's no nice lamb or camels or any, anything like that or looking around uh, to where to lay their head and that kind of stuff in Matthew. Now Luke has, tells a lot more of that part of the story. But Matthew, he can go straight and gives a lot more time in chapter 2 to what well, we know is the wise men. You know, the, the, the three kings. We don't know that there are three kings, actually. There are three gifts, that we know. But they're wise men, kings. Actually, they were astrologers. They, they read the stars, and God spoke to them. I mean, it's clear that God, the, the God of Israel, Yahweh, um, the God of Jesus, is the one who's speaking to these astrologers. Now, they lived in the east. Hey, now we can pull the little map up. Uh, Matthew, thank you. We were, uh, excited. I forgot this in first service, and we were excited about that. Now, if you can, you can't, y'all can't read that, really, can you? Well, in, in the, you can probably see, you know, Saudi Arabia is that big little peninsula, you know, right there in the middle. And at the top of that, that's where Israel is, right there. And if you go to the right, that's, that's the east, or yeah, to the right, that's your right. Um, you know, Ir- Iraq and Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, even beyond that, China. That, those three, or those astrologers, they came from there, from that part of the world, and to come visit um, G- uh, the baby Jesus, the one who is the hope of the world, uh, the, the King of Kings. And, and what that tells us is you know, that this one who's coming, he's coming for the world. I mean, he's coming for you and me, but he's coming for the world. I mean, he's bringing a world-size, cosmic-size hope. Uh, to the world. So anyway, these guys they, they come on. Um, they, they come to, to find, they're following a star, you know. And this star, God has put the star over Jesus when He's born, so that they can visit the King of Kings, and they've got the gifts to worship Him. And at that time, Herod is the king over that area of the world, that little bitty area there. And and King is a delusional, power-hungry leader. And, but he's, uh, he's clever, and then he invites the wise man in. And says, hey, guys, I hear there's king of kings is coming. Where is he? You know, and they say, well, we're going to go find him. Well, when you find him, come back and tell me, because I'd like to go worship that king too. Bring him some gifts of my own and see him. And so they say, okay, we'll do. And they leave, and they follow the star. They find Jesus. They celebrate, rejoice. They, they worship him. They, they give him gifts. And as they're sleeping that night, he, they have a, they're visited by an angel who says, don't go to Herod, but go home. Go back to wherever it was, Afghanistan or Pakistan, wherever it was. Go there. So they do. 
And that's where we pick up the Christmas story in Matthew in verse 13 of chapter 2. Now, after they had left, they being the, the astrologers, the Magi, after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt. And remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I have called my son. You can put the map back up. It had Egypt on there. And so you can see that they, they went the other direction. But they, they go into Africa. Right? And they, they go into that, that northeastern uh, section of Africa uh, that we call Egypt uh, today. And they go and hang there for a while. As refugees, place without they have no place to call home. They forcibly have left their home for fear of their lives. See, this this is the, the story of Christmas. This is this is real fear here that brings real hope. Because you know, today there are close to sixty million people that are just like the Holy Family. Sixty million people who, because of delusional power hungry people, have forcibly been removed from their homes and are now traveling around in a lot of that same area and beyond trying to find a place to now call home. See, this, this is a real hope facing real cosmic fears. Those folks are now like the holy family. They, can, they know that Jesus relates to them. Because of the terror that Jesus and his family faced and what their family is facing now. All right, we'll pick it up with verse 16. When Herod saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. And he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he'd heard, that he learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. You want to talk about terrorism? I mean, Herod, because he was delusional, power-hungry king of the day, destroyed all the nurseries in Bethlehem. That's terrorism. That is a real horror. That is real fear. And, And Jesus is born in the middle of that real horror and terror in order to bring real hope. Not to deny the terror and the fear, but to say there is something greater still, even than the evil that is perpetrated in our world. The cosmic battle that ensues around us. The physical and spiritual realities of creation 
are addressed in the manger. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. It's on page 1001. And and this gives us a a peek into the the spiritual realities of the manger. The the spiritual realities of of Bethlehem. Spiritual realities of Jesus being born. God with us. Emmanuel. Now, um, now in Revelation, got to remember, you know, this is uh, what we call apocalyptic. You know, so this is symbolic. There's there's metaphor here. So, you know, it's sort of like, like I told you before. You read this one, you got to eat it like you eat watermelon. You know, just eat the good parts. You know, there's seeds. Yeah, you put those aside. The rind, yeah, it's not time to eat that. If you're going to eat the rind, you got to candy it or you got to cook it. You know, put it in brine. You know, that kind of thing. That's how you read this. So just get the the big story here. And we'll unpack it a little bit. Just get the big story. A great portent appeared in heaven. Now, portent is a sign. Um, what, what's happening here? John is, John is the one who's writing this. And God's going to give him a, like a big movie in the sky. And, and so he, he's going to make this sign. It's a symbolism of the spiritual realities. A great portent appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pangs in the agony of giving birth. Then another portent, another sign, appeared in heaven. A great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems, uh, like jewels, in his heads. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child. All right, so you got this, right? So there's this big movie screen in the sky, right? So there's a, a woman there, and then there's a huge dragon. And the woman's pregnant, about to give birth. So the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was snatched away, taken to God and to his throne. I mean, catch the parallels here with what Herod was, was doing. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God so that there she can be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, you see how Herod and what he did fits into this picture. But just, just a little bit. This, this is symbolic of a much larger time. But Herod is one of the specific ways that you see the dragon at work trying to devour the, the work of the, 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 the woman, of the, the, the male child that's going to be born, who's going to rule the world. I mean, that's Jesus. We're told a little later um, that the dragon represents the devil, represents Satan. Just a few verses later, if you read the next paragraph, you'll, you'll see it. Matter of fact, you read the next paragraph, you'll get a few more of these details that I'm going to share with you. The, the woman with the, the 12 stars is Israel. 
Uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. And we're told from the beginning, this has been God's plan from the beginning, even since Genesis, you know, out of Abraham, you know, out of uh, David, the family of David, the tribe of Judah, that there's one will be born, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Lord of lords, the hope of the world. He will be born to a woman. He will be born in Bethlehem. So this is the fulfillment of God's plan that not just out of Mary as a woman, but out of his people Israel will be born the one who is the hope of the world. And the dragon who is untamable, of great power, who is, who is un- unthinking with his power, just with his tail takes down a third of the stars, throws them to the earth, represents the devil himself. The personification of evil. The organizational leadership of evil in the cosmos, in in the universe. And he is working to oppose anything that brings glory to God. He is at work in every way to oppose what brings life. John tells us elsewhere that the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so this Christmas story is a part of this cosmic drama, this cosmic reality. So the devil, then through Herod, in full anger and evil and terror, indiscriminately just destroys all the children born in that area, two years old and younger. That's the the kind of battle that we're in. The kind of battle that Jesus was born into. But what we see here is that real, that sure and certain hope of what is secured. God secures Jesus. I mean, it sort of truncates it right there. We go right from birth to ascension. he, He takes them and then pulls them away. But that's exactly what happens in the gospel, that Jesus is born and he's not destroyed. They go into Egypt, they come back, and he then is protected and nourished throughout his journey until it's just the right time for his death and resurrection. And then we're told after he ascends that then the devil points his attention to the church. I mean, the woman, the the 12 stars now moves from Israel to being the church. And the 12 stars become the 12 tribes to the 12 apostles. That's you and me. The the one that now the dragon, the ferocious dragon is attacking, who is trying to destroy and to kill, steal and destroy, is the church and the work of the church around the world. That's what this evil one is about. But what are we told? That there is a place prepared that God protects and nourishes that church. And it gives a number of days, which is basically three and a half years. And if you read on, three and a half years is the time that the church of the church age. It is the time when the church is at work and the time when the evil one is on the prowl. What is our hope? What is secured is the salvation of the world. What is secured is the work of the church throughout time and throughout the globe. God protects and nourishes us and the whole church throughout our existence. 
So I just want you to know that as we are really seeking to be the church of Jesus Christ, we will face opposition. We will have real fears. Because the evil one will work to kill, steal, and destroy. If we're going to actively be involved in inviting other people to know Jesus, if we're going to be actively involved in in helping one another to grow as followers of Jesus, to obey Him, then we'll face opposition. If if we're going to actively be involved in world evangelization and, and sending mission workers around the world... In the name of Jesus, we will face opposition. If we're going to fight um, and pursue racial reconciliation in the name of Jesus, you, being united in Jesus, then we will face opposition. If we're going to fight, if we're going to partner with other churches and with City Gospel and with City Link and with Christ Community to fight poverty, to, to uphold education, to, to pursue employment, to, to do what is good, to pursue life for all, then we will face opposition. We will have real fears, but those real fears have been trumped at the manger because that's where real hope was born. And in his life, death, resurrection, we know what is secured and that nothing else is secured. Uh, Ran across... uh, Events of Steve, the life of Steve Saint. Now, Steve is uh, still alive today. Um, he was a missionary child, actually, in Ecuador. Grew up in Ecuador from the time he was four years old. Uh, um, his family, his, his father, was Nate Saint. Some of you may know that, that part of the story. Um, and uh, and he joined with four other men to work to take the good news, to take the message of Jesus among the Wasani people in Ecuador. And uh, the, uh, um, as they, 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 were, they were the first people there. They were the first white people that they'd really ever seen. They, it was the first people from any other real culture that they'd ever seen. Um, in their, and they came and they developed relationships with them. They flew in and flew out, took gifts, trying to pave the way to be able to share the good news of Jesus. And one day, um, they just happened to land in the midst of a, a tribal feud, a family feud that was going on, and the five of them were speared to death. There's an interesting movie called The End of the Spear that tells that, that story. But um, Steve Saint was four at the time, but his, his family didn't give up. They continued to surround the Wasani people, continued to love them, because it turned out if, if they'd shown up the day before or the day after, it never would have happened. It just was they were in the midst of a little family feud at the time. So Steve, you know, at four years old, finds that out. Eventually they move back into the tribe, and Steve grows up in that tribe. And actually the man that speared his father became his adopted grandfather. And eventually, his adopted grandfather became a Christian and became really the pastor of the tribe. And they became a Christian tribe in the middle of the villages of the jungle of Ecuador. Well, this particular event, this is a couple years, well, 20 years later than that, um, Steve then, he's on the mission field now. He's, he's now working with mission agencies, taking the gospel to other parts of the, the country. And there's a, so a group going to Mali. Um, Really, they're going to the city of Timbuktu. So there really is a Timbuktu. 
And part of the, the reason that Steve went there was like, there really is a Timbuktu. He didn't hear about it in Ecuador. Just had heard the saying, right, let's, let's go there. Let's check it out. So he goes with some other mission workers just to see what their agency is doing there. They, they land. They, they check it out. And he needs to, to get back to the base. And to do that, he has to rent a truck and then go over through the Sahara Desert. Well, nobody's willing to rent this white guy a truck to go across the Sahara Desert to get back to, a, to his home base. So he's, he's stuck in Timbuktu, literally. And he walks through the market. He just goes into the market there in Timbuktu, and he is feeling the daggers of the glance from the people around him. Because Mali, then and now, a heavily Islamist country, you know, one in which they actively oppose Christians. They certainly oppose Christian workers. And whenever there's a white guy in the market, that's probably because he's a Christian worker. So he's trying with his broken French to find out what's going on, and he can't. And in the midst of that, he is feeling surrounded And the fears become more and more real for him. And as happened in that stage of his life, he would go back to the the real fears and doubts and wonders about why did that have to happen to my father? Why why in in our work are we so opposed in the, the work that we're trying to do to bring good news, to bring words of life? Why do we face such opposition? And in the midst of that, he remembered um, that there was a small little church, actually, on that market, a little mud hut. And so he eventually got some of the, the children that were sort of hanging around him, just touching his skin to see if it rubbed off and that kind of stuff because they hadn't seen white people before. Asked them if there was a church around, and they, they took him there. And he met the pastor. Again, it was a little bitty mud hut. And the pastor's name, Nu Og Infa Yatara. We'll just call him New. New's native to Mali. He's actually a Muslim convert. And, and so Steve asked him, hey, well, how, what's your story? I mean, how did this happen? So he tells him his story of growing up and had, had mission, uh, Christian mission workers that were in the, the area. They, they gave him some of the basic pieces of the Bible translated in their language. He started to read it, got really interested in Jesus and was meeting with them, asking more and more questions. His family found out. They threw him out of the, of the home and actually invited him back one time for a supposed party. And, and in that party, poisoned his food. Uh, but he was unaffected. The problem was his little brother stole some of his food without him asking, and he got really, really sick, even partially paralyzed. And knew then he was permanently thrown out of his home. And so the mission workers of the day, they couldn't take him in when he was a child because they took him in and the whole village would destroy him. So it was really a difficult time. But the the mission workers would meet with him and under the table they'd pass him um, uh, copies of the Bible and and his language and they'd translate stories of other Christians who'd been persecuted for the faith, who'd been thrown out of their homes and and those kind of things. And he'd share those different stories. And he he turned to Steve as he's telling this and one of the, the one that was the most meaningful to me was the story of these five men in Ecuador who were speared for their faith even though they had guns. They had loaded guns on them and they refused to shoot them because they didn't want to send anybody to hell. They were there to send people to heaven. 
So they didn't want to use their guns. And he said, I couldn't believe that they were willing to die. And he, and he told, and he, after he told Steve his own story, he turned to him and said, you know, Steve, one of them had your same last name. And Steve finally said, yeah, that was my father. And knew. What? Wow! You mean it really did happen? You mean this really is true? And he exploded with excitement that this is real. This is true. And Steve looked at him and said, yeah, this is true for all of us. Because Steve now saw just another piece of God's miraculous plan of bringing real hope in the midst of terror and death and murder. And that he he saw it span the globe. Because not only did the death of of his father and his four compatriots lead to the conversion of that tribe, but now that story has traveled 5,000 miles into, literally, Timbuktu. To bring words of hope in the midst of real terror. That's behind the veil. That's behind the tinsel. That's what's behind the lights of Christmas. Where real fear is conquered by real hope all around the world. Amen.